Hello, friends. Thanks for listening as we continue with the second hour of Open Line. Today's program is pre-recorded, so the phone lines are not open. But I hope you'll hear something today that will encourage your heart and expand your mind on this edition of Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. And it's where we generally talk about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. I'm Michael Rydelnik, Professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. And we're coming to you from the Moody Radio studios at Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. Now, although we usually take your questions, we're not doing that today. We have a special Christmas broadcast where we are having a Bible study across America with my special guest today, Eva Rydelnik, who is a colleague of mine, happens to be my wife, but she also teaches at Moody Bible Institute, and she also is a collaborator. She's worked on the Moody Bible Commentary, and so uh, we've worked together in that, but we've been married since, uh, I think, when Lincoln was president, before D.L. Right. Moody, That's right? right? That's, That's right. We've been married a long time. She's still the one. And then also, uh, Trish McMillan, who is the producer of Open Line, is here. She also is the one that you hear every week with the a mailbag segment. She comes in and she asks the questions. That's why I call her the queen of the questions. And uh, she <laughs> is uh, here for Bible study and also the guy that gave me my break in radio back in 1957. <laughs> <laughs> Small uh, station in St. Louis. Yeah, that's it. Uh, to 5,000 watts. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> a 5,000 watt station in Fresno, California. And uh, anyway, that's uh, Chris Favory who is uh, in from the backyard fence to join us at the the radio kitchen table. I hope you have a cup of coffee there, Chris. And I'm just grateful to be included in this. This is so much fun. And and what I say when you and Mike Van Lanningham come on my program, I say you make reading the Bible fun again. If you're listening and you say, well, you know, it's a boring, dry thing. No, you get it. You start reading God's Word and it, it comes alive to you. Yeah. So I hope you're catching that. I, it's so exciting. And I'm so glad that we're here. And we're talking through the Luke narrative and the Luke story, the Luke Christmas story. And I think it's interesting that it doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It actually starts with Zechariah, who we just talked about last hour. You can go back and listen if you missed the first hour. And also Elizabeth now. And uh, Elizabeth has a totally different response to the the announcement of her pregnancy than Zechariah, uh, who's a show-me kind of guy. He is from St. Louis. Right from, from the show, you say, "Yeah, how can I know this?" He says. But then you come to chapter one, verse twenty-four and twenty-five, and it says that after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, "The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people." She has a totally different response than Zechariah. What's different about her perspective, do you think? And uh, what about this timing? What does it reveal about the way God meets the needs of his people? She didn't seem to be uh, stunned that she was pregnant in an unexpected time, but just really happy that she was pregnant at this unexpected time. Because they were praying about it. Right. They've been praying about it. And I love this because he doesn't believe it when the answer to prayer comes. She's like, yeah. That's totally cool. That's what I was expecting. I, I thought of myself. Who do I identify with more when God answers mm. my prayers? I'm totally like Zechariah. 
You know, <laughs> I'm like, what? really? Am I sure about this? Come you on. Answered what? What? Yes. Uh, and Eva is definitely much more like Elizabeth. Uh, oh yeah, God so- answered our prayer. That's it. So- <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> what, were you, what were you expecting? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting the word she uses. Um, well, that God has looked on her in favor. That comes mm-hmm. up later when we. We'd, Look at Mary. Yeah. And also that he has taken away her disgrace among men. And I thought kind of on the flip side, Mary will now experience that disgrace mm. because she's kind of on the, the yeah. other end that she is unmarried and is now pregnant or will be pregnant versus Elizabeth, who is married and has been praying for this, that that has removed her disgrace. Uh, where her Mary disgrace now being, has th- being childless. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that yes. was considered a disgrace. In that, that's a great insight, in Trish. Yeah. The, and they both the come from the favor of, of God. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. That's it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think that's really true in our lives, that God sometimes brings favor and it, it lessens the load. It takes away the pain. It takes away the problem. And sometimes God's favor brings all sorts of difficulties into our lives. And we think, well, that's not God's favor. Well, yeah, it is. Sometimes. Just wait and see. We just wait and see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And That's even a our great res- insight. Our response to that favor, because now God has favored Elizabeth and um, Zechariah is dealing with the silence of, yeah. of himself. <laughs> Which I is, mean, that's because another, of his That's response. another benefit that she got. <laughs> <laughs> but just, well, but just I, how we respond then. Ahead, I look at this uh, as, you know, as a fiction writer, I'm always asking the question, what does the character want and what does the character need? And usually from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, whether you're writing one or you're reading one, you're answering that question. And what they think they want is not really what they need. And at the end of the story, they finally figure out, this is what I've needed all along. Mm -hmm. And if God really is sovereign over this, and he, he is, and he's sovereign over these people's lives, what is it that they want? What are they really praying for? And what is it that they need? Uh, I think that filters its way or kind of winds its way around their lives as well. Mm. And, you know, I don't think that uh, Elizabeth needed to give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. She just needed to have a child to take away her disgrace. And God then not only meets that need, and he does it really, he meets her need, so the disgrace is taken away, she's had a child. But on the other hand, think how hard it is if she lived to see... Mm-hmm. Uh, John's arrest mm. for standing wow. up for for righteousness mm-hmm. and his his ultimate murder at the hands of Herod Antipas. I mean, that that must have been very very painful to see her answer to prayer end up like that. Wow, that was also an answer to prayer, but not the one that that yeah. we would choose. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's it is. What did she need? What did she really want? So, and I'm know. I'm reminded. I think we've talked we talked about this a little bit last hour, but the comparison between Abraham and Sarah and Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have this older couple who this is a miraculous human pregnancy that has happened, that God has um, done within the marriage, within normal means. Again, kind of comparing that to Mary's, which is this miraculous divine pregnancy that yeah. there's nothing there that she could do but that you have this comparison looking back to Abraham and Sarah it's one was providence with yeah. with, with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth because no natural laws were broken in the making of this right. child right and then uh, 
but with with Mary, it's a, it's a pure miracle. Yes, natural law broken. Yes, so. mm-hmm. and uh, one quick question. Um, going back to verse twenty three, it mm-hmm. says Zechariah went back home. Was he in Jerusalem, he, or where where was he doing the um, incense? He was right. he was at the sanctuary in Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem, uh-huh. where, yeah. and she was home, or yeah, what the was, wife had. Uh, she probably was home. Come. Okay, she was right. home. Okay, so she was not pregnant yet. Yeah. Right. It seems yeah. in the text that yeah. then he went home and... And there she is pregnant. And they didn't have email. <laughs> and they... <laughs> Social media. Yeah, they didn't know. It was they didn't, they didn't announce it's a boy on Facebook. So, right. uh, yeah, that's... Well, that was a quiet house. Think about that. Her in seclusion for five months, Zechariah not saying a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't I say... she got a lot done. She must have gotten pregnant after he came back because it says after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. So he went home and then at some point point in the next next few months or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it could be that, that, uh, yeah, that's after. I think that's pretty clear that it was after. I thought you meant was he away? Not that. When she got pregnant. Oh no 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 no! No, it wasn't. He it wasn't was away. Miraculous birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 he didn't live. They didn't live far from Jerusalem because it says in verse thirty nine that they lived in the hill country of, uh, of Judah. Yeah, which is just out. Well, if Chris would ever come to Israel with me, right? He would know. He, he would know. It's not very far away. Uh, so, so a day's, get that a day's travel. Probably less. Yeah, less probably than a day. Half a day, day. Maybe, maybe a day. Less day. Okay. Half day. Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't that that far. Again, this just points out how real this all is, that these aren't these stick flannel graph figures that are just hopping through the story. These are real people with real lives, with real needs, with real hopes, with real dreams, Mm -hmm. with real hurt and pain and more to come. You know, I think a lot of people think God's going to wave the magic wand over my life and everything is good from then on out. And you look at the pain that they have to walk through, uh, walking this road and this struggle. It's a struggle yeah. to follow God. Uh, it's its not all bonbons and candy canes that are going on here, but it's worth it. It's worth it because you see in, you know, what, what did they really need? Every character in, that we're talking about, every person we're talking about needed a savior, mm-hmm. needed forgiveness, needed a relationship with God through the Messiah. And that's what we're, we're moving toward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that anyone that thinks that there's no adversity in the spiritual life just doesn't believe Jesus because in our lives because he says in this world you will have troubles, tribulation. Trouble. And uh, that to me, it's clear uh, that he says, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And th- the point of this is that we're all going to experience difficulties Every one of us, the only difference between us and people who are not walking with God, they, they have difficulties, we have difficulties. The only difference is there's someone walking through those difficulties with us, someone who's victorious and w- will bring us home. And that's, that's the encouraging part. So, uh, well, we're going to come right back and we're going to talk about Mary and the message that came to her and how she responds to it. What a great example for us. And she's just a young woman which is what I think is remarkable. So stick with us. It's Chris Fabry and Eva Rydelnik and Trisha McMillan and me talking our way through the story of Christmas in the Gospel of Luke. You're listening to Open Line. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Open Line is designed to take your questions and provide you with straightforward, honest answers from Scripture about the things that matter most. When you join our team of kitchen table partners, your monthly gift will help us stay on the air to continue to share the truth of the Bible with those who need to hear it. 
Become a Kitchen Table partner by calling us at 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. The Book of Romans is often considered Paul's most significant theological work, addressing topics such as sin, salvation, faith, righteousness, and now you can easily grasp Paul's teachings as the Romans Everyday Bible Commentary by Alan Johnson guides you in the meaning and application of Romans in our daily lives. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, Chris Favory, and me, Michael Rydelnik, and we're talking about the Gospel of Luke and the story of the birth of Jesus as found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's just a really great discussion we're having. I'm just having a blast with this. But last, just a few moments ago, we talked about the the wilderness of Judea or the hill country of Judea, isn't that what, where? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned that Chris Favory just resists going to Israel with me. <laughs> just resists it. <laughs> One day it's going to happen, Mike. One day. In the fullness of time. In the fullness In the of time. <laughs> you know, if you end up going to Israel with someone other than me, then it'll be a knife in the heart. I'm just just laying a little a little Jewish guilt <laughs> okay, on you. A little Jewish guilt on Chris. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go back here. I, I love this part. And it says in verses 26 and 27, uh, this is chapter 1, 26 and 27. And boy, we've got to really move because this is just the, the heart of the story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Why send Gabriel? Hmm. Does Is there any clue there? I mean... He doesn't make every announcement in the Bible. Right. He, he just made the announcement to, to Zechariah. Yeah. Yeah, we see that up in verse 19. And now he's back now, yeah. a few months he's later. He's back. Yeah. A few months later, new yeah. news. Yeah. Why do you think Gabriel's the one that's the announcer of these things? Because hmm. angel means messengers. It could have chosen a lot of different messengers. It's not a lot, a lot of the angels aren't named in the Bible. It's pretty significant. Yeah, there's Michael and there's Gabriel. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty. I'll tell you what, I don't think it is, is uh, they didn't draw straws. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a purpose behind this. Yeah. Well, it's, it is the most important announcement that uh-huh. God gives. And, you know, there's been 400 years of silence. So Gabriel's the first one who has made any. Um, announcements to anyone Broken directly silence, from yeah. God. So he talked to Zechariah, and now he's talking to Mary. And he even says, uh, he says in uh, verse 19, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. So this is as like close without God himself mm-hmm. coming and talking to Mary. This is like God's mouthpiece to her. I mean, uh, that's is this just... the first time? This is not. I know this. This is not the first time he appears in the Bible. He appears. Was he in, in Daniel? Was in he Daniel, Daniel. He's in Daniel. He's the one that brings the message to Daniel eight and Daniel eleven, uh, to to Daniel. And what I think is really interesting is that when God has a momentous announcement to make, He makes it through Gabriel, and uh, you know, uh, 
that really the 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 idea is uh, the greatness of God. That's what his name actually means. Right. And uh, the powerful God. God. Yeah, God is my strength. Huh? Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that it's the angel Gabriel that comes uh, in Daniel 8 and tells him uh, about this stuff. And Daniel, I think it's Daniel 11 as well. Yeah, uh, 9, 9 too. 9 about the birth of the Messiah, mm-hmm. about the coming of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Anyway, I, I just think it's when God has really momentous things to announce, he sends Gabriel, and this is momentous. So uh, it, when the, the minute you see that it's the angel Gabriel, readers need to go, wait, this is not just an ordinary message from God. This is a stupendous, momentous, important message from God. Should, should we talk a minute about that, that she was a virgin? Does that tell us anything about how old she was, you think, the way that word virgin is used here? Well, the, uh, it's based on the Hebrew word alma, which is translated by some. They say it just means young woman. I've done a uh, word study of the Hebrew word in Isaiah 7.14, and it's used in the Hebrew Bible, never used of a woman uh, with sexual experience. So there's a more technical mm-hmm. word for virgin. But this is uh, a word for a young woman who happens to be a virgin. So, uh, so uh, a person, let's say, could be 70 years old and be a virgin. And This little, word would not be appropriate. And little girls. Yeah. But this is uh, talking about a, a young—we would translate it, I think, best if you're reading fairy tales, a maiden who had never known love's first kiss. Uh, like in a fairy tale, you know. Obviously a virgin, but of a young age, of a marriageable age— uh, who has just come through puberty. Kind of waiting for her Prince Charming, her Wait, sweetheart. Exactly. Her, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and so that's what the word means. And then uh, in the Greek New Testament, they use the word parthenos usually, uh, which just means virgin, because they want to capture the emphasis on her being a virgin. But in the in the uh, Hebrew, the word that it's based on, that, that comes to us from Isaiah 7, 14, it's the word of a young virgin. So that tips us off a little bit on, on Mary's age, Yeah, right? no one knows how old she was. Some people say, oh, she was as young as 13 or 14. That's probably a little young mm-hmm. for when uh, a young women were married. Um, but she's of marriageable age, so probably 16 or 17, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere. And also I think uh, puberty was a little bit later back then uh, than it is today. So I would say probably 16 or 17 mm-hmm. years old. So she was, was young. Was God obligated... Was God obligated here to reveal this, to tell her, hey, look, here's the deal. This is this is going to happen here. Um, that leads us a little bit deeper into, you know, the, the unveiling we talked about last mm-hmm. hour that, you know, God, the, the silence and the, the secret plan that's going on here that is now in the fullness of time. And I almost feel like there's, you know, we, we hear the angel Gabriel. What about the enemy of God? What about Satan? I mean, he's he knows this plan now. If he's paying attention about the things that are spoken to her, he's in on this. You know, he, he can't read people's minds or angels' minds, but it's spoken out there. So it will, you know, be, be known to the enemy what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually don't think that God very much cares about what the enemy knows or doesn't know. The enemy is a liar, and he lies to yeah. himself, and he thinks he can overcome what God is doing. And uh, so God just—that's why when people ask me, should we pray out loud in front of when Satan or or the demons can hear what we're praying? Won't it inter? Won't that make them interfere with our prayers? I think. Phew, 
God is much greater than that. We don't have to worry about it. Now, the question of obligation, though, was God obligated? I don't think God's obligated to do anything, but God is merciful. Uh, I think from the book of Job, we know that God is not obligated to give an answer or an explanation, but he is caring and he's merciful. So he wants Mary to know uh, why this is happening. Can you imagine if she turned up pregnant Mm -hmm. and was not informed in advance? Right. Oh, man, that would be hard. All the questions. Well, and I almost feel like this goes back to Zechariah and his response. You know, I think a lot of people believe that God is obligated to explain everything that we are going through and the and the problems. And if I just understood what God was doing here, then I could praise him, then I could follow him. Well, Zechariah was a righteous, godly guy, and he had it all explained to him and look at his response. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, he didn't <laughs> you know? get it. But don't you know, isn't it interesting that uh, when Mary is told she's going to give birth, uh, in verse 30, it says, you have found favor with God. Uh and we're going to talk about that, but I think what is her response when she hears about the virgin birth? She says, how can this be? And yet she is answered, unlike Zechariah. What's the difference between her response and Zechariah says, how can I know this is so? She says, how can this be? And Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will give birth. She'll become, she'll conceive and will give birth. Uh, what, why is, what's the difference between what Mary does, says how can this be? And what Zechariah said, how can I know this? It sounds like the same question. When I read it and, and, and kind of put them side by side, I was, I was reminded of the proverb in chapter 16, verse 2, which talks about that the Lord weighs the motives of the heart. Mm-hmm. So I think it was that he, he was maybe motivated by doubt to ask that question, and she, her question is just an amazement, how can this be, not doubting that it would happen. So he was asking, how can you do this? Uh, how can I know this? Mm-hmm. That's what he, sort of an expression of doubt. Yeah. She, she was asking biology, how mm. can this be? I went to science class. <laughs> I heard the birds and bees. I know that this doesn't happen. Uh, how can, I've never known a man, she says. And so, uh, so I don't think her question is, is springs from doubt. I think it questions from... How are you going to do this? Hmm. So. Amazement right. versus uh, not not really believing. Yeah, right. Doubt Amazement it. versus disbelief, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah, that's. I think that's it. And here's the really cool thing: it says that she found favor with God. Uh, it says that in verse thirty, you have found favor with God. What is? I mean, here she is. She's poor. She's young. She's insignificant. Why is she? chosen to find favor with God. What, what does this show, I think, about the kind of people that God uses, chooses to use? What do you think? Why does he choose Mary? Well, it shows that he can choose whoever he wants. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's not your status. It's not your um, position it's not whether you're male or female. And I realize for this particular one, it needed to be a female. Yeah. But th- that there's not a specific um, criteria that a person has to meet to find God's favor in who they are mm-hmm. as a person. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I was thinking that you can actually... Uh, you can, She is a young woman. What did you say, Eve, about... We were talking before 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. She's unbelievably spiritually mature. Mm-hmm. 
She yeah. really is mature. Uh, she says with wonder, how can this be? And then she responds when the Lord explains it to her in verse 38, I am the Lord's slave. Some versions say servant. But it's complete submission to God. So this, uh, not only is she wondrous at the response, as a response, she's submissive to God. And I think it's interesting, there's some there's a, a teaching that's wrong called open theism. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I once read a response to open theism, which says that God doesn't know the free will decisions of his people. And the guy wrote this whole essay about what if uh, this message had come to Mary and God didn't know what she would do. If you mm-hmm. are willing, then the Lord will, <laughs> the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's pretty funny. But no, she is totally submissive. I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. God knew that about her. And then she worships in the Magnificat, beginning with verse 46. Here she's told this really difficult situation is going to come upon you. Everyone will think that you're slutty. You know, mm. you're, you slept around and now you're pregnant and it may jeopardize your engagement. You're uh, telling this story? Come on. Come on. And what does she do? She says, if this is what God wants, I'll worship him. You know, I think that's... Uh, my spirit has rejoiced, he says, in God my Savior. What a, what, a, what a spiritually mature woman. Amazing. We're going to be right back with more discussion of Mary and the birth of her son, Jesus, right here on Open Line with Chris Fabry, Eva Rydelnik, Trish McMillan, and me, Michael Rydelnik. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Each week on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, we sit around our radio kitchen table and study the scriptures together. You can become a Kitchen Table Partner by supporting OpenLine each month. As a benefit to becoming a partner, you'll receive a bi-weekly email called a Bible Study Moment, where I'll share Bible study tips, answer some common Bible questions, and encourage you in your spiritual walk. Become a Kitchen Table Partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. We're so glad that FEBC partners with OpenLine with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. This is Michael Rydelnik reminding you that you're listening to a special pre-recorded edition of Open Line. So our phone lines are not open today. But please enjoy the rest of the program right here on Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Your baby boy would someday walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you this child that you deliver will soon deliver you Mary did you know welcome back to open line my name is Michael Rydonic I'm so glad to be going through the story of the Gospel of Luke of the birth of Jesus with Chris Favory Eva Rydonic Trish McMillan we're having a great time as we work through this and we were talking about uh, Mary, just before, and her spiritual maturity, you wanted to say something about that, Eva. Well, I thought it was interesting when 
she says, you know, is how can this happen because I am a virgin? And Gabriel answers her, and he explains how it's going to happen with the Holy Spirit coming upon her, and she will have a holy child called the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth is also pregnant, and nothing is impossible with God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and because of the maturity that we see in Mary's thinking in what is called the Magnificat, just a few verses down here in this first chapter, when she heard that phrase, I think, nothing is impossible with God, because she was biblically knowledgeable, she must have remembered Abraham. Mm-hmm. And when he was told that they were going to have a, a baby, and Sarah, when she, and God said, nothing is impossible with me. Nothing mm-hmm. is impossible. Yeah. He said the same thing to Jeremiah when Jeremiah was in prison. said the same thing to Zechariah when they were coming back. This phrase about nothing being impossible with God, she, I think, must have really resonated with her, and she replies, behold the bondservant of the Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm the Lord's slave. I think that you could see her biblicism, how she's a, it's amazing how mature she is that she knows the Bible so well because when you read her Magnificat, it is based on First Samuel two, the the prayer of Hannah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many phrases taken right out of First Samuel two. So obviously she's biblically literate. Uh, I don't think Luke is staging this. He heard from Mary, I believe, what it was that she prayed, and her her biblical knowledge was great. So. You know, and I think whenever any of you go through a tough time and a verse really speaks to you, you remember that verse. Mm-hmm. It might be 40 years later, but you remember, oh, when I was in that tough place, I remember this verse. Yeah. So when she was interviewed by, what did Luke, you feel at that time? I, I remember these verses, Luke. This is what came to my God, mind. Nothing is impossible with God. Yeah. And all you, of this, yeah. yeah, yeah. What were you going to say, Chris? The, the, uh, the choice of her, the question, why Mary, reminds me of when the prophet comes and is looking to anoint the next king, and there's none of them there. You know, the lined up all the kids. Is, uh, no. Well, is there anybody else? No, well, there's one out, out in the field with the sheep. You don't want him. No, no. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. And so there was something about Mary, uh, David, a man after God's own heart. There's something about Mary, a woman after God's own heart, that feels like that rings true for her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's one of the things I feel like has happened. There are people that feel that some traditions have given too much honor to Mary, and as a result, they tend to denigrate her because right. she was just a person like you and me. But she was a unique person. She was so spiritually mature at a young age. Uh, and God saw that in her heart, and that's why he chose her. I think that that's so crucial, and I think we dare not denigrate her just because some people have maybe given her too much honor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to recognize this is one amazingly godly woman at a young age, uh, just remarkable. So uh, we're going to move on, though, because we have to talk about the most important person in the story. And there's a lot of characters here. But the, uh, the person that is most significant is the Lord Jesus who was born. And it tells us the story of his birth in chapter 2. And it says uh, that what he, when he was born, it says in verse 7, uh, then she gave birth to her firstborn son, which I think is interesting that it is her firstborn son, not her only son, her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. That's how my version reads. Uh, So when we read this, uh, what does this reveal, I think, about the nature of, I mean, this is the birth of the king of Israel, the promised one. What does this reveal about the nature of his kingship? What does it show us about him? Uh, I mean, 
Chris, you did a whole program about where Jesus was born, did you not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we and that question of you know what is what was the stable, what was the cave, what was you know we've talked about that, mm-hmm. just the humility of this place, this whatever it looked like. I mean, we can we can pick out one thing and another, but this was a just a certain sign of humility of the family and then of the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was the suffering servant being born, not the ruling king. He'll come back as a ruling king. There's no doubt about that. But uh, this is him coming as a as an infant in poverty, uh, without any fanfare, without uh, not born in a, in a palace, but placed in a feeding trough. I mean, really, uh, wow. just I, I'm just kind of shocked because I'm kind of a regular person. I just uh, my grandchild was just born a few months ago. I cannot fathom yeah. putting that baby in a feeding trough. You know, I just, your mom, you you know, that's the same feeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's no nothing else. And even that this kingship of, there have been all of these prophecies um, of what the Messiah, of who he would be and what he would look like. And that it's just this, uh, it doesn't look as one would expect based on those prophecies. Yeah. <laughs> You've kind of you kind of just figure out, oh, it's going to look like this. Okay, so this is what we're looking for. Even the magi mm-hmm. when they show up, where's the king? They go to Herod's palace. Right. Yeah. Right, that's where you would look for a king, yeah. and that's mm. not how he came. No, he came humbly. Uh it, it's, aren't all the stories that we tell usually, you know, God worked this out and he did this and he did that and we got to stay in this, you know, ride first class or we yeah. got to stay in the suite. <laughs> and this was done exactly how God wanted it to to be done and worked out and he winds up in a stable trough in a trough yeah. for animals. I I and good. It, it was about it was about a ninety mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Yeah. That they should a, have made reservations. It was a far. It was a but far trip to go, and you would think how many days it would take you to go that far. Yeah. I mean, you know, seven days maybe. Yeah. They and, didn't have the Hilton and you arrive app, so they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it made me think of John one, because it says a true light who gives the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. Here he is. He's the creator of the world, and he gets no reception, no recognition, no welcome. Uh, just, yeah, you know what? You can stay in the back. There really is, The guest room is already taken in our house, and uh, if you want, we've got the cave in the back where we put the animals. You could stay there if you want. No effort to even help this, this pregnant young woman. I mean... Well, the, you know, and, and she probably wasn't the only pregnant woman who who yeah. had to report to Bethlehem, the city of David. A lot yeah. of the re- mm. people yeah. from that community probably were also having babies at the same time, and she seemed kind of unremarkable to the yeah. people who were looking at her. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she won't give birth tonight. Maybe not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just don't know. So anyway, that 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 is, uh, I think that that is the most remarkable thing. The other thing that I find remarkable about the story, we can see the birth of Jesus through all these perspectives, right? Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, but not the birth of the baby. We just know that he was laid there, and then it goes on, and it tells the perspective of someone else, and that's of others, and that's the shepherds. And uh, 
The shepherds were the first to be told about the birth of the Messiah. They say, today a Savior, the angel says, who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. Why tell shepherds? And I'm sure you've heard the, uh, the common teaching that shepherds were despised in mm-hmm. Israel. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. I've N- heard it. Not true. That's, you go back to Genesis. They always cite the verse in Genesis. It was the Egyptians. Egyptians. It, when Joseph and his brothers were, when Joseph invites his brothers and they were shepherds and they were put in Goshen because the Egyptians had no regard for shepherds. Yeah. So. It has nothing to do with Israel. <laughs> there is some negative remarks about shepherds in rabbinic literature from about the fourth century AD. We've got nothing in the first century. In fact, I think hmm. that shepherds were held in pretty high regard because God himself is called the, the shepherd of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think... So, so the question then is, why tell shepherds? Why not announce it at Herod's palace? Why not announce it at the Sanhedrin? Why tell shepherds in a field? Have you ever considered that, other than that they were despised since they weren't? <laughs> despised, <laughs> but they're not. I think it well, just, I had to tell somebody. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I think I think it just continues that unexpected arrival of him that that he's not coming the way you're expecting him to, mm-hmm. and and going to the humble shepherds who seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things. That isn't who. Um, if you were making an announcement, that's not who you would tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't pick Mary. You wouldn't tell the shepherds. But, but one of the things I did think of while doing this, I was like, well, they were awake. Yeah, I mean, right. they were awake and watching. So why not? I mean, mm-hmm. why not have the party with the people who were there? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a group that's together to hear the news because there would be a mm-hmm. few of them out together mm-hmm. awake at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, I actually was looking at this as we were talk- preparing to talk about this. And I saw something in the Life Application Study Bible that I thought is is interesting. Uh, he says that Luke records that Jesus' birth was announced to shepherds in the fields. These may have been the shepherds who supplied the lambs for temple sacrifices. I think that's right, uh, that they were just outside of Jerusalem. They were out there. It doesn't matter what season, winter, if it was winter or summer, they have these lambs out in the fields, and uh, they were there with the animals for temple sacrifices, that were actually used for the forgiveness of sin when Israel, when Israelites would sin, when Jewish people would sin. Here, the angels invited these shepherds to greet the Lamb of God. Mm. They were they were the shepherds of the lambs, and he said, "Well, you should see the ultimate Lamb of God. We're gonna mm-hmm. we invite you to come see his birth." I thought that was just a great insight. Yeah, I love too. that. Yeah, uh, and not because they were despised, but because they were being honored for what their task was. So. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, anyone else want to add anything about that? I wanted to ask about the angel of the Lord okay. that stood before them. It doesn't say this was Gabriel. No. You know, Gabriel's appeared before. This is the angel of the Lord. Um, is that different than and the glory of the Lord shone around them? Well, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord generally is a pre incarnate appearance of the Messiah, a Christophany. But- but not here, because the Messiah but, is present. And my Bible says, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood. It uh, doesn't have the... Uh, I'll tell and you, verse 9? I'll tell you what it says in Greek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it says, an angel. An angel, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. So it's just a messenger right now. Uh, I think maybe Mary and Zechariah needed intervention by Gabriel. 
<laughs> the angels would just believe the heavenly host right there. You know, mm-hmm. Well, it could have been Gabriel, and they just didn't name him. Yeah, you know, right. Because yeah. he doesn't say, mm-hmm. "Hey, I'm Gabriel, and yeah. here's the song." For, you know, yeah. Because in uh, verse ten, it says, "The angel said," and the angel said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, but but it, the message is the amazing thing: good yeah. news, great joy to yes. all people. For today in the city savior. of David is born the Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord. Yes, I do think that it's amazing that they made the rush right to uh, to see the baby. They didn't wait uh, because they were wanting to worship him. We're going to be right back and talk about Simeon and Anna. So don't go away. You're listening to Open Line with Chris Fabry, Eva Rydelnik, Tricia McMillan, and me, Michael Rydelnik. We'll be right back with more about the story of Jesus and his birth. People often wonder, what's Hanukkah all about? So with Hanukkah coming up in December, Chosen People Ministries wants to help open-line listeners by offering a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Chosen People Ministries reaches Jewish people around the world with the good news of Jesus the Messiah. The Gospel According to Hanukkah explains the ancient origins of this holiday, the way it's celebrated today, and how it relates to our own faith in Jesus, the light of the world. For a free copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah, just go to openlineradio.org. Scroll down, and you'll see a link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be able to sign up for your very own copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Baby King, baby King, you've got to get ready for a baby king. You might dance, Daddy, you might sing, but you never seen nothing like a baby king. Welcome back to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. I have three guests today, Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, and Chris Fabry. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke's story of the birth of Jesus, and we're having a great time doing that. Okay, we got to... We... <laughs> I'm still on that song. It's a great Can't song. Get that out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> it is a phenomenal song. Okay, Simeon. I love the story of Simeon, how he is someone that is looking for the redemption of Israel. To Israel's consolation, it says, he was righteous, devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And then he enters the temple complex when Jesus' parents came to perform to him what was customary under the law. I just find that an amazing story. And I wonder why is it that there does not seem to be any special aspect of Simeon? He's just a man who's holy, devout, righteous, but he's ordinary. And it was revealed to him that he would know about the birth. He would see the Messiah. Why do you think God did this special benefit for him? What was driving that, do you think, Chris? I think it's the same thing we were hearing about Mary or same thing we were hearing about uh, the choosing, the things that God the shepherds, does. Yeah. We, don't, we don't understand uh, was there something special in Simeon's life that drawn, you know, that he was had a heart after God? All we know that is God is good, and he revealed this to this man, and I'm thankful that we know about it. You know, he, mm-hmm. he told somebody about it. I, I think you're really right. I mean, I think what I get I keep being told is the Messiah is born in a very ordinary, less than ordinary way. An ordinary girl is chosen to be his mother, very ordinary young girl very ordinary shepherds. You know, they have a nice job, but still, come on, shepherds. Yeah. It just shows that it's the heart that God is looking for, not privileged positions or important jobs or 
anything like that. He's looking at people who have a heart for him. That's why he's described as being a man who is righteous and devout and longing, looking forward Mm. to the coming of the Messiah, longing for Israel's consolation. I think that that is a great thing for us to know, that God's not going to use us just because we have a position. What he does is he looks for people whose hearts are his, and those are the people he's going to use. What's interesting is the Holy Spirit is making a lot of appearances in this <laughs> passage. Well, he does, I mean, yeah. Gabriel tells uh, Zechariah that the Holy Spirit will be on John. Elizabeth experiences the Holy Spirit coming upon her. The baby leaps in her womb. Yeah. Um, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary for her to get pregnant. And now the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon mm-hmm. in verse 25 that there's a, a lot of appearance by the Holy Spirit and then later at, at Jesus' baptism in the next, um, in chapter 4, 3 or 4, that we see a lot of that, uh, a lot of the Spirit coming in here where I don't think of the Spirit as coming until after Jesus has ascended. Yes. Ah. But but we have the Holy Spirit here at work and doing, I mean, other than Jesus' baptism, that he is very active mm-hmm. in what is going on. And that's a really important thing that you've just noticed, that the, there is a Holy Spirit. He's eternal. And he existed in the Old Testament, and he worked in the lives of people. He yes. works differently after Pentecost, but he is just as powerful, just as God, and just as active uh, hmm. there. Okay, we don't have a lot of time. Uh I just find Anna interesting because here she is, this old woman, and she came up and began to thank God and speak about him at his redemption. By the way, his circumcision with Simeon, his redemption, firstborn at a month, which is a Jewish ceremony, all these Jewish ceremonies. But uh, why why do you think she's a role model for us? I think she'd she'd committed her whole life to God after she'd become a widow— I mean, she probably was committed to God her, you know, before. Before, before that. But after her widowhood, she determined she was going to go to the temple and only serve God in the temple. She chose that as a vocation of service for him. And then and here she is, 84 years old. And after she had seen Jesus, she says, and she continued to speak of him to all those who, who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So yeah. once she saw him, she just kept talking about him. And I think that's what we all want to do about Christmas. Once we see him, we want to keep talking about him. Not yeah. just at Christmas time, but every time we get a chance. Not just talking about Christmas, talking about him. Right. That's yes. right. That's, mm-hmm. that's a great reminder for us. Uh, let's be like Anna. Well, that's the program for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to my special Bible study partners today, Eva Rydelnik, Trisha McMillan, Chris Fabry. Thanks, Courtney, for making us sound good. Keep in touch with us by going to our website, openlineradio.org. It's got links to my page, my webpage, Chosen People Ministries free resource, uh, many different uh, helpful things that you can find on that website. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Have a joyous Christmas, everyone.